right, Church of Omaha, if we could gather into our seats. I am thankful to be in the house of the Lord today. Uh, last week was a little interesting for folks. Isn't it hard to believe you look out there and you're like, snow, what snow? I think even the next day, I don't know, I, I flew from here last week up to North Dakota. And so I left here and we were getting all the snow. I get up there, bare ground, 45 degrees. I guess you go north to get warmer, if anybody ever heard of that before. Um, but Today I would like to turn to the book of Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah, and um, I gave the sound guys back there in the media ministry a lot of verses. I won't necessarily read all these verses, but uh, it's more to kind of capture where we're at. Um, turn to the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 6. And I would like to start at verse 3, and I am reading out of the New King James Version today. Um, you don't have a New King James in your, uh, as a Bible, I would urge you to get one. Um, it, uh, it reads really well, um, and so if, you've, if you read King James all the time, I, re- I do as well. Um, but uh, the New King James just kind of brings some of the words into a little more modern language and can be a little helpful if you found some of the King James language to be a little con- confusing. So, um, and I know Bishop preaches from this uh, translation as well. So, Nehemiah chapter 6 and verse 3 it says, And I sent messengers unto them, saying, I am doing a great work, so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease whilst I leave it and come down to you? Um, yet they sent unto me four times after this sort, and I answered them after the same manner. And uh, Lord Jesus, I ask you to speak to us today. This is your house, Jesus. This is your people. God, help us to hear your voice, to learn from you, and to grow in you. In Jesus' name, amen. In Jesus' name. I want to talk to you today. My title is, I Will Not Come Down. I Will Not Come Down. Um, the, the story of Nehemiah, um, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, um, all these books right here, I find them... Um, a bit interesting. They, they fall in the category of being narrative books. They're, they tell you a story. And, you know, if you get into the book of Leviticus, Leviticus has a lot of giving laws and commandments. Um, but when you get into some of these stories, or you get into like 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Samuel, you begin to see a lot of telling a story. You know, how David went and he faced Goliath. And when you look at these stories, they're meant to be learned from not just in like, if you read this, the, the verse, you'll be like, well, man, Solomon had all these wives. So men everywhere went and got themselves a bunch of wives. No, you're taking it out of context. Oh, that's wrong. Actually, I heard a guy say one time, he said, uh, or I read in a book, he said that uh, um, students will come and they'll say to him, I want a biblical marriage. And he's like, well, what do you mean by that? He's like, look at David, look at Solomon. Is that what you mean by a bl- biblical marriage? And he was bringing out the fact that much of the Bible, or 60-some percent of the Bible, is narrative. And we see stories. And so we have to study them and read them and then look against the commandments of God and compare them and gain an understanding of people didn't necessarily do things right, but God worked with people. And we also see that people, when faced with situations, had to make decisions. And they didn't always make decisions right, but they had to make decisions. And 
These books, Nehemiah, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, what I find fascinating about them is it's all of them are about people who when faced with a situation were moved to action. It wasn't that God came down and and they're like Jonah over here, and Jonah's minding his own business, and God says, hey, I want you to go preach to Nineveh. What? I don't want to do that. That's not the situation. It wasn't God speaking and saying, I want you to go do this. It was Nehemiah saying, there's a problem. Or if you know the book of Esther, it was Mordecai, and then Esther saying, there's a problem, and I need to have something happen. So that brings us to Nehemiah chapter 1. In Nehemiah chapter 1, um, Nehemiah's here and, and it says, uh, uh, well, I'll see if I want to just start at the top. Some of these names were a bit hard to pronounce. But some brethren here, and we'll look at verse 2. Some brothers came from, or some brethren we'll say, some Jews came from, uh, from Jerusalem. And he was talking to them. It says, certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Now this situation shouldn't have caught him by surprise. The people of Israel had sinned. They had rebelled against God. They had fallen into idolatry and, and, and they, they would maybe include God as I worship you also, but they brought God down to the same level as any other ideology and, and God in their life. That's why when you see Elijah at, the, um, at Mount Carmel and they're worshiping and, and they were okay to know about God, but they wanted to go ahead and worship anything else out there, anything from the the neighboring countries, the people that they looked at and said, you know, I, I look at your life and, and, and there's, I like your life too. Can I bring this into a modern context? A lot of society recognizes God. We have the Ten Commandments. They're on the wall in the um, Supreme Court. Um, people we have in God we trust on our money. But they don't necessarily put God up here. God's an equal with maybe their scientific ideology or their philosophies. In fact, some of those things take a little higher level. And then they begin to get the Bible and they say, they won't necessarily deny that there's a God, but they're like, well, is this all really true? It, can, can I really trust this? Can I, can I follow this? And, and, and isn't there, what about the Mormons? Or what about the, the Muslims? Or, or, or what about Buddhism? Or, and they begin to look at other things and other people and, and, and they try to bring things into a common playing field. They try to bring it into a playing field of how do I feel about things? Or, or what do I think? Or, you know, that just doesn't seem right to me. Or I don't believe in that. And when you do that, you're bringing God down to your level. You're saying, hey... If I don't believe it, then God, you know what, maybe we need to talk about this because I'm just not buying it. As if God is your equal. You've made yourself to be God. And that's what happened here with the children of Israel. They didn't necessarily all outright deny God. But they did sacrifice their babies. They did erect other altars. And they worshipped any way that they thought, was, was, I suppose, was the newest fad. You know, Solomon didn't just build a great temple to God. He also built temples 
to all the other gods of all the wives he brought into his country. You know, you may say, hey, that temple, Solomon would say, well, that temple's not in Jerusalem, it's over here. Or it's not as great as the temple to God. Anytime you worship something else, you're putting it on the same playing field as God. I don't care how you say it only takes up this much of my life. I only go to the bar on Thursday. That's when I meet with my friends. I only tell dirty jokes on Wednesdays, Wednesday mornings, because we have church on Wednesday nights. So I get it out of the way Wednesday mornings. We only watch movies we shouldn't watch on Friday nights. You know, in some religions, I know people, right before a great uh, religious celebration, they go out and they sin. Why? Because the next day, they think it's all going to be taken care of according to their religion. I would watch them in college, and I don't know all the teachings of their religions. I don't know if some of the spiritual, I want to say that with quotes, leaders in their religion would have said, hey, you can't do that or not. But I would see it in mass. They'd be like, oh, tomorrow, so we get to do this tonight. Why? And, um, and so God needs to be your God. And when you, when you say, well, wait a second, I like to do this over here, and it's in small quantity, you have still made something else a God in your life. So Israel had fallen into sin, and God had finally had enough. And he said, okay, all these nations and all these, these people you followed after, you're going to be taken over. You're going to be punished. Oh, I want to tell you today, you need to be thankful when God decides that you need to be punished. I know that might sound a little crazy to you, but if God thinks it's worthy enough to punish you, it means that he thinks you're worthy enough to save. So when God reaches into your life and you go through some correction and maybe life circumstances come your way and God says, you know what, I got to let that one happen. You reap what you sow and, and life's fixing to hit you with some hard blows and, and I got to let it happen because you got to learn some lessons here. That's what happened to Israel. First the Assyrians came and then it was the Medes and the Persians. And they scattered them throughout lands and broke them up and many died. And Jerusalem was no longer great. The country was no longer great. Nehemiah knew of their sin and their wickedness. He knew it. Nehemiah had a couple choices out of that. He could have said, why did God let this happen? He could have been mad about it. He could have said, if God's really God and He loves like He does, well then why is there suffering? That's a question many people ask. He could have come at that angle. He could have said, you know, yeah, yeah, I think God's real, but a God that would do that, I'm not going to serve Him. Or he could have questioned and said, is God even real? Why did this happen to our country? He can't be the God. When bad circumstances come, he, he surely can't be the God. Let me look for someone else. He could have turned to the kingdom that he served in. The king that he served was the one that was the, the greatest king in the earth at that time. He could have said, oh, let me serve the gods of the Medes and the Persians. Look at how great their nation is. But we don't see those reactions out of Nehemiah. We don't see, well, we deserved it. We don't see... Why would God do this? And we don't see him just outright rejecting God. Instead, instead, we see, And it came to pass when I heard these words, 
I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And I said, I beseech thee, O Lord, or, or O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth, keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Let thine ear be attentive and thine eyes open that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant which I pray before thee day and night. What did he do? He came to God and he reminded God, you're a God of mercy. And Lord, I'm looking at this city. I'm looking at these people and I'm broken for them. I'm not saying to them, you deserve to be in bondage and you deserve to be destroyed. And I'm not saying to you, God, God, why did you do this? And I'm not saying, well, you must not be God. Instead, I'm coming to you, God. And I'm saying, God, you're the God of mercy. And Lord, yes, God, we've sinned. Lord, we've done wickedly. But would you look at us, Lord? I'm bowing my knee to you. I'm trusting you. And I love you. And I know that you love me. That's what Nehemiah did. He began to pray. You know what Nehemiah did? He cared. He cared. It has been said that God doesn't care until we care. Now, you're not going to find that in the Bible, okay? But it's an observation. Not that God doesn't care. But what people are observing is they never saw God move in a situation until a person was broken and began to pray. Now I'll tell you what it is. It's God really is moving on you. And he's saying, hey, look over here. Will somebody care with me? You know, God looked down and he saw the wickedness of man and he saw that nobody even cared about God. And he said, hey, i got to destroy this earth. And then Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And as soon as somebody cared about God, he's like, I can at least deal with you. When you begin to care about your city, when you begin to care about your family, when you begin to care about that someone in your life that's struggling, I promise you, when you care, you will see that God cares. When you will take the time to turn your face towards God, you are going to find grace in the eyes of the Lord. When you begin to seek His face, I promise you without a doubt, and I will tell you by testimony and experience and by the Word of God, which He has put above His name, that when you begin to seek His face, you will find that God cares. God cares for the people that are broken in this world. He cares for people that are bound by sin. Oh, He's not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. God cares about your marriage. He authored marriage from the very beginning. God cares about your children. He gave your children to you. God cares about your job. Why? Not only the people at your job, but God said that He would be your provider. And so if He gave you that job, you know He's in it. And when he says it's time to be done with this job, okay, God, I'm going to go wherever you want me to go. But when you're at your work and the problem comes and somebody's like, how are we going to solve this? It's okay to pray. It's not just okay. You need to pray. Go ahead, whisper to God. 
Begin to talk to him about it. So Nehemiah cared. And you know what your situation needs and you know what this world needs right now? From this narrative, this story of Nehemiah, we can learn is that we need someone to care. We need someone to care. Don't blame God. Nehemiah didn't. Don't reject God. Nehemiah didn't. Go ahead and care. You know what you should be amazed by? You should be just a little amazed that God has moved in a sinful world. Not that a sinful world is suffering. You don't need to cross your arms and say it's not fair. What you need to say is, wow, look at that God moves amongst us even though we're just humans that rejected Him and sinned and, and look at our debauchery and our wickedness, but yet God hasn't given up. That's what you need to be excited about. That's what you need to be amazed by. Oh, not that we suffered from sin. No, but that God would take away our suffering. Or that He would be with us in the middle of our suffering. That He would give us strength to go through it. That He would give us joy in the middle of mourning. Oh, that He would trade oh, our ashes and give us beauty. That's what you need to be amazed by. But then I want you to understand, in your amazement, know that God has done this work. And I want you to receive it and to reach out to Him and say, Oh God, I want everything that you have for me. Oh, you need to be amazed, but you need to receive. So what's something else we can learn about Nehemiah? When he was faced with this, he began to pray. He began to weep and he began to repent. He began to call out to God. But I said it right there, Nehemiah prayed. Nehemiah prayed. It's a beautiful prayer. And, and when you finish up his prayer in chapter 1 there, he says, or it ends in the verse says, Now therefore, God, let's see, I'm at the wrong spot there. I flipped over to chapter 6. He says, no wonder why I was confused. Um, it says, for Nehemiah, it says, for I was the king's cupbearer. You know I, what I like about that? You see, first off, Nehemiah was used to authority. He saw the king in action. And so he went to authority about the problem. Nehemiah, of all people, talked to the king every day. Every day. He was with him. Every bit of his food, right? Nope. You're not going to die from this one. And, and if he didn't visit with the king, I guess he was, you knew he was over there. The king knew he had his backside. He knew I can trust that guy because if he ate my food, if he drank my food, and, and he's going to, I know he's going to, he trusted him to go ahead and eat of the food and drink of the food and not be like, I think this one's poison today. We're just going to pass it off. But he knew he could trust him. And so he visited with the king, but he was the cupbearer. And so the other thing I see is, I don't know, maybe back then people were impressed by that guy, but <laughs> you're also kind of like the expendable crewman, you know? It's the guy, it's the, is it, anybody know what the expendable crewman is? I knew that from uh, um, some games I played. I think it's probably from a TV show, but it's the guy that they would be like, oh, he died. Well, that's the expendable crewman. That's the one that, you have all the heroes in the movie, but no, this guy, he's the one that didn't have a name. And when you think of the cupbearer, some folks would be like, wait, there's folks that are out to kill the king. And you're there so that you die instead of him dying. 
That's your, that's your job. Your job is to die so the king doesn't. Not that you protected him with a sword or a gun, but just that you drank the poison. And so you might think, well, that's an important job, but on the other hand, you're not an advisor. You're not leading anything. You're not in charge of anything. We just need you to eat the food and find out if it's poisoned. And he now goes before the king. And he's there, and he says to him, he says, he's like, well, what's the matter with you? He's like, well, you're not the same. Something's not quite right. And what did Nehemiah do when the king asked him, what's the matter? He prayed. He took a moment. Now, I know he's before the king. He didn't say, hold on, I need two hours. I need to go away, and I'll be right back. So I'm sure he was right there, and he was like, oh, God. I need your help right now. And he prayed. And you know what the king did to his cupbearer? He said, okay, I'm going to take you and I'm going to make you a governor. I am going to send you and you are going to be over Jerusalem. You're going to be over the territory. You're going to go. He took him from not having any authority other than you make sure I'm not poisoned. And I'm giving you all the tools, all the equipment, and all of the authority you need on equal with any other governor I have out there. You go and you build the walls. Oh, somebody needs me to hear me today. God isn't looking to see if you have the capability. He just needs you to care. God isn't looking to see, hey, have you gotten all the training that you need? He just is looking for someone to pray. He isn't looking to see if you have the best voice and if you have the best pedigree, you just need to be someone who will care and be willing to trust the authority of Jesus Christ. Oh, we can learn that today. He, he went ahead. He, he could have stood there and said, no, no, everything's okay, King. I just it's kind of bothered by some stuff, but it's okay. Instead, he's like, wait, I have a chance here. I have a chance. And when God stepped out or when the king stepped out and said okay i'm giving you the ability to take care of the problem nehemiah didn't say well i can't do that he's like okay let's go let's go build these walls he went to pray if you've read the book of nehemiah you'll know that he set out on the mission and you'll know that they begin to build the walls and they built them in um I believe it was 52 days I meant to write that down here so I wouldn't get it wrong, and then I didn't. But it built it in 52 days. I got a nod from Bishop here. And it was extraordinary. It was marvelous. It was great. But it wasn't without its problems. We can look and we can say, wow, any event that occurs within two months, that's fabulous. We built the walls around a major city in, 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 two, day, or in two months, in, in 52 days. That's just that's unheard of. And it was unheard of. But remember, when he was faced with his problems, the walls weren't built yet. Remember, when he first had to gather stones and get people on his side, the walls weren't built yet. Remember, when the enemy came and said, you can't do this, the walls weren't built yet. And it's the story of your life. Oh, you guys have been getting up at the end of the second half, and we've been hearing the most wonderful testimonies of deliverance and salvation and hope. But before you had the testimony, you had the test. Before you were delivered, you had the trial. Before you overcame, you had the struggle. And you overcame. 
and you came through the test. And you have a testimony because of it. Oh, let's give God glory today. And that's something we can learn from Nehemiah. And that's that he went through the struggle. Oh, he saw the walls built before they were built. You know where he saw them built? Back when he was getting ready to take the cup to the king. And he's in there and he's saying, God, you just heard the news. Oh, God, you got to see these walls. God, you got to see my nation. God, you got to see my city. God, you got to see my people. You know what he began to see? These walls can be built. These people can come together. There can be a people that worship God again. There can be a people that will serve God. Let me remind you, this all came because Nehemiah cared. Not because we heard the voice of God say, Nehemiah, I need you to care. Your caring is as important as God's caring. And you say, wait a second, what do you mean by that? No, I'm hearing, hear me today. The walls were built and God did the miraculous because Nehemiah prayed. And when you look at your families, you are the bride of Christ. You're part of this relationship. And I'm telling you in my family, if my wife cares about something, it is as important as if I care about it. And if I care about it, it's as important as if she cares about it. And there is action that occurs when we care about something. And so when you begin to care, approach God and you will see things begin to happen. Because if it lines up with this Bible, when it lines up with the principles of this Bible, and you find a place of prayer, you know that God wants to see things happen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so Nehemiah set out to work, and you know what happened? Nehemiah and, not Nehemiah, Sam Ballant and Tobiah, they came and they begin to stir up trouble. And they begin to let it out there and they begin to say, we're going to attack. We're going to destroy this thing. Nehemiah chapter 4, what does it say? Verse 9, nevertheless, we made our prayer unto God and set a watch against them day and night because of them. They made, our, they made their prayer unto God. You know, that's just like the devil. You know what the devil likes to do? He likes to come along and he likes to begin to whisper. Let me tell you. And he gets folks over here and he begins to stir things. And you see it show up as, a, as turmoil and chaos. You know what I found in church? I found that God begins moving and the devil's like, can I stir up some turmoil and chaos? Can I make some people mad at each other? Why? Because you are the people of God. And you have this gospel to carry to a lost world. You do not get a wall built in 52 days if people are like, hey, oh, hey, you know what we got to be worried about? Oh, no, they're coming, they're coming. Oh, I'm going to give up. Oh, I'm going to go my way. Not just Nehemiah. Everyone on the team made a commitment. We're going to build this wall. And Nehemiah said, we keep on building and we keep on praying. We keep on building and we keep on praying. That's what they did. They, they had a trowel in their hand and they spread that mortar and they had a sword over here and they said, I'm going to do what it takes, but I've got a desire to see this happen and I'm willing to do the work even when the enemy whispers in my ear. 
even when he spreads turmoil and chaos. Oh, when you're willing, I want you to know that God is going to give you everything that you need. You know, you see, it's not, I, I've mentioned it earlier, but it's not about your capability. It's about his call. Now, God will bring capability for you. He'll either surround you with people, he'll give you the ability, he'll do something, okay? It, it is, it's not normally either by the Bible and the stories in the Bible or by personal testimony that things just, we step back and just watch it all unfold. It's not normally that way. Even with the most miraculous, the waters parting, we see a rod extended. We see people that went to the shore. Even with the rivers parting, we see people that got in line and then took a step into the water. Even with the walls falling, we see people that begin to march around. See, see, God will give you what you need, and then he does the rest. And you say, well, I don't have what I need. Trust him. Because he's given you the call, so he'll bring the capability. He'll bring the capability. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So Nehemiah, they begin to build and they begin to pray. And that brings me now... To the last point, I will not come down or never give up. Never give up. I will not come down. Nehemiah was up at the wall, and when we this is the passage we started out with. And he's up there and they're working away. There's some gate work to be done, and other than that, everything is largely complete. And that's when the enemy comes along and says, will you meet me on the plane of Ono? I kind of like that. I know that that's, that's just a name for the plane, Ono. But I like it because I'm like, oh no. Oh no. You know who needs to say, oh no, is your accuser. Your accuser needs to say, oh no. And that's exactly what was happening. Because the plane of Ono is where we like have a truce. All right. We threatened you. We accused you. We tried you to get you to stop. I tried to get you to not go to church. Every time you came home from church, there was a fight in the house. Every time you tried to live for God, your bills like everything exploded. The fridge broke. The microwave went down. You got in a car accident. What's going on? You know, one spring, right near the start of the new year, I had like, whew, I had a couple appliances go, I had a real major couple thousand dollar expenditure come into my life, and my car, boom, right on the inside of the interstate, engine, head's taken out. So I have to buy a new car. I added it up, I'm like, I got $15,000 in new debt within like two months. I'm like, what, what's, where did my $15,000 come from? All of a sudden... You know, my paychecks don't roll in that way. I'm like, what happened? But you know what I didn't do? I didn't sit down and say, I'm going to stop living. And where's God at in my life? And, and what's the point? And how could this happen to me? And where's God's keeping? You know what? God kept me, even in struggle, even in trial. Some of you have gone through far, far worse situations situations that that I can't even begin to describe emotional great turmoil inner turmoil 
divisions, inner hurt. You see, those things are far greater than breaking a car breaking down. The, the addictions and the struggles and the spiritual struggles in life and the things that we go through with one another, those things are far greater and leave far lasting marks than just did I not get my bills paid this last couple months and we somehow worked through it. You guys have gone through great struggles. But that is not the time to give up. When trials and circumstances come, don't give up. And that's what Nehemiah, as he stood on that wall that day, they were largely complete. And this, I want you to hear this, church. You have been baptized in Jesus' name. You've been filled with His Spirit. You've been living a life of holiness. You've been following after God. So when struggles are coming your way, and the enemy whispers, give up. Don't give up. You've come too far to stop now. Don't compromise your holiness. Don't say, well, maybe there's another way. Instead, you need to say, I will not come down. Oh, I built a wall, and I built it for the glory of God, and I will not come down. You can say what you want, but I'm not coming to your plane of compromise. I'm not going to give in to the way of living like the world, even if you think it looks better. I'm not going back. I, I, I'm not going back to Shushan and going to live their way. No, that might be a great city, but I built something over here, and I'm not coming down. Oh, I planted a work, and it's for the glory of God. And anything that I build for God is greater than any other beauty or riches out here. So listen to me, enemy. You're the one that needs to be trembling in your feet. You're the one that needs to come over to my side and say, what must I do? What do you need me to do? Because God has ordained our work. God's ordained it. And when God ordains it, nothing can prevent it. And Sanballat and Tobiah came, and they cast out their things again. And he said, I won't come down. And they had their little speech of, well, we're saying you're trying to overthrow, and you're trying to become your own nation. And what does Nehemiah do? He talks to God. And what does he say? Verse 9, for they all made us afraid, saying, their hands shall be weakened from the work that it be not done. Now therefore, O oh God, strengthen yes. my strengthen. hands. <laughs> oh, this is what happens when you care. When you care and say, I'm not compromising and I'm not giving up. Every battle you face, go ahead and raise your hands and say, strengthen my hands. Can we do that together today? Go ahead. Some of you have gone to battle for your families. Some of you have gone to battle saying, I'm going to live right for God, even when the world wants me to change my ways. Oh, God, I'm not giving up strength in my hands today. Go ahead, raise your hands up in prayer. Close your eyes so you don't see anyone around you. And just say, God, I've made a commitment to you. 
I don't know where life's going to go. But God, I'm making a commitment to you. Strengthen my hands. Strengthen me, God. Give me courage and give me strength. Lord, you see this people of the church of Omaha. You see their homes. You see their marriages. You see their neighbors. You see their loved ones. And oh God, you see our corrupt and evil and wicked nation. Strengthen our hands, Lord. Oh God, save much people. Lord, turn people towards you. We're not walking out on your truth. We're not going to compromise, oh God, how we live for you. And we're not going to elevate any other, quote, God out there to your level. Strengthen our hands. We've made our decision, God. We're building for you. And we won't come down. Oh, give him some love right now. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. 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 Oh, God's here today. God's here today. He's in this place. See, when you read through the Bible, you're going to be reading through Genesis here. All these stories we've read through Acts, um, they're stories. They're true stories. They're things that people went through. And they're for you so that you can be strengthened. You will see both their failures and you will see their determinations. And you will also see those who walked out and some for a time. But you will see a God that didn't give up. And you will see a people that fell down and repented for themselves. And also, like in Nehemiah, you'll see a man that repented, not just for himself, but he took other people's sins on him. You know how he repented? God, forgive us. Just like Daniel. Daniel did the same. And so I urge you today, look at your world. And you're like, well, I didn't do that. Instead of crossing your arms and saying they deserved it. Say, God, forgive us. Forgive us. You may have family, you may have children, you may have spouses, and they've done things that they, they shouldn't have done. You know what? You probably have too. So go ahead and begin to say, God, forgive us. And as you begin to pray their sin as your repentance, you're going to see some things happen. Oh, you're going to feel the presence of God sweep into your life. Tears are going to flow, and you're going to watch God bring them to an encounter with him. Now, they will have to make their decision whether they want to repent or not. But you will see them encounter God, and you will see many deliverances, signs, and wonders. Why? Because you cared. You went ahead and said yes, and you didn't come down. You didn't compromise. And you made a place of prayer. It's 11.08. Come back in here at 11.20. We're going to have church. I think we have a baby dedication right at the start. So God bless you and let's have church.